Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and we are joined today by Joe Sadock. He is the host of the Practice of the Practice podcast. He's a TEDx speaker. He's an author. You've probably heard of him before, and if you <laughs> haven't, uh, he is a mover and shaker in the coaching and consulting world, as well as just kind of knows a whole bunch of stuff about podcasting. So he's been doing this for a lot longer than us. We're always happy to have people share their wisdom with us. Thank you so much for joining us, Joe. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Yes, we're very glad to finally have this crossover episode. We're going to be on your episode pretty soon. So this is awesome. So the first question we ask everyone is, who are you and what are you putting out into the world? Oh, uh, you know, first and foremost, I'm, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a friend. I think starting with just who I am in life before I get into my professional identity, I like being in nature, stand-up paddleboarding, uh, and I hope that what I'm putting into the world helps people. But, you know, in regards to kind of professionally, I, I love doing podcasts and helping people launch podcasts because something I never learned in grad school was all these great skills that we have and that we develop, whether it's, you know, trauma or helping couples. Most of the world doesn't get to hear it when you're just one-on-one -on -one with people and that there's so many things that you can do to take this professional skill set that the world genuinely needs um, and get it out there and then also help your bottom line in regards to your finances. Joe is joining us for the Therapy Reimagined 2020 conference where he's going to be talking about a lot more in depth about building podcasts and making it a part of your practice and all the different angles that go into the development of it. And, you know, kind of as you look at all of the work that you've done, you've come across a number of therapists in your career. We also like to start our episodes with a, a supportive, not a shaming what do you see a lot of people doing wrong that, you know, those mistakes have been made and since other people are making those mistakes, therapists getting started don't have to make them. Yeah, I'll start with mistakes I've made because that's easier to talk about than other people's mistakes. Uh, you know, I think one thing was, you know, when you've gone to grad school, when you've spent all this time creating, you know, you write a report that's, you know, your thesis and you spend years or months or whatever, like building that out, doing research you're really good at creating something, at diving into things. And so early on in my career, especially as a consultant, I'd have these ideas for a product and I would say, oh my gosh, this is great. I'd spend months researching it. I'd you know, sketch out the entire course. I, I would just waste so much time and then I'd launch it and one or two people might buy it. Uh, I remember I did a whole podcast series. It was a whole kind of 
branch podcast called How to Become a Consultant. Did 80 episodes. It was a daily podcast for just under a year that you know, it was five days a week. And at the end of it, all I sold was this e-course and I think six people bought it. And oh, it was no. like, I, I had spent, <laughs> and I thought, okay, I interviewed people like Pat Flynn, John Lee Dumas, Chris Ducker, these names and titans wow. of the business world. And I only sold like six spots into it. And so oh, no. the idea of creating something and creating something without ever testing it, without ever having your audience say, hey, you know, this is what we really want. This is our natural next step. I realized through that process of wasting, you know, a good year of my time building out a website and a podcast that if you don't kind of listen to your audience and have them tell you, here's my natural next step, you're going to jump way past them. And that's what I did. I had mostly people at that time with my podcast that were starting a practice. So they yeah. weren't even thinking about becoming a consultant. They didn't have a group practice. They weren't killing it. They were starting a practice and that's where my audience was. And only now when I have people that they have a group practice, it's kicking along. They don't want to do as many hours. Now they're like, what can I do that's bigger for the world? What can I do that puts me on the national stage? Now they're ready to become a consultant. But I was like four years too early and didn't even <laughs> listen to my audience. <laughs> that's so interesting because I think oftentimes, especially I see this with therapists, is that folks will get really excited and feel like they have to have the whole thing built. They have to be the expert. They have to be like 27,000 time percent ready. <laughs> Right, because they don't want to look stupid. They don't want to yeah. like ruin their professional integrity. And so they they run way ahead. And I think that's a really good point because I know that there's definitely, I relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's pretty common. But I, I think in, in looking at, at having that kind of ideas around like how do you market, how do you test market, how do you, how do, you do those types of things? Like instead of that, <laughs> instead of just creating this whole thing without any market for it, like how do you recommend people listen to their audience? Yeah. So first and foremost, something we say in podcast launch school is fall in love with the pain and the people before you ever pitch a product. And so really at the core of what we do, we're identifying someone's pain and we're saying, here's the yeah. transformation. And so even this podcast, you know, the pain might be people think I have a big idea inside of me. I can help the world. But I have no idea. Podcasting sounds crazy difficult. It sounds mm -hmm. like something that like I could never do that. It sounds complicated. But the transformation by the end of this podcast episode is hopefully they feel like, hey, I think I could do that. That sounds pretty easy. Or at least I know some steps that I can take. So whether it's a podcast, whether it's an email, a social media post, a blog post, a YouTube video, we always want to be thinking through what's the pain someone comes with or the questions or the struggles. And then what's that transformation, which is what therapists do. People come to therapy with pain and we help them transform. So it's really just applying the therapeutic process to how we create content. So once you do that, then you want to start with how do I create some things that are genuinely helping people through that pain and that transformation. So what we teach is you're first going to build out an email course that has a very particular process so that you have a piece of content you can send people to. Then the first 15 episodes, we have a way that you kind of walk through those and we can decide how deep we want to dig into those things. But you want to build that audience out and get at least 100 people on an email list before you ever think about pitching a product. Because that's enough people that you can start to really talk to them and find out what their natural next steps are going to be. This embrace the pain sort of thing <laughs> is as people are kind of conceptualizing these things, you know, what are some of those pain points of developing something like a podcast? You know, I guess this is naturally going into what are the pros and cons, but you're leading off with the cons here. 
<laughs> right. Well, I mean, let, let's just start with the biggest question I get around that is like, you know, why aren't there too many podcasts? Like, why should I start yeah. a podcast? Yeah. So let's just talk stats for a second, because it's great to feel like, oh, I should start a podcast and that kind of ooey gooey heart side. But let's like really also dive into some of the stats. So just looking at the difference between having a blog having a YouTube channel and having an active podcast. Okay, so there's over 660 million blogs that are out there. So if that were a six foot tall person, let's compare the ROI on your time to gathering an audience to a YouTube channel. So what we wanna find is we wanna find where's the largest audience with the fewest competitors. Okay, so a blog, that's a six foot tall person. So now if we look at, all right, a YouTube channel, is that worth it? Statistically, that would be King Kong, 104 feet tall. And wow. so okay. that's a huge <laughs> jump. You know, you, you imagine standing and looking up at King Kong, that's massive because um, there's 25 million or so YouTube channels right now. Now, if we look at inactive podcasts, meaning they've posted one podcast in the last 90 days. So that drops significantly. That's seven Titanics bow to stern on top of each other, 6,000 feet tall. And that's just posting one podcast in the last 90 days, around 700,000 or so of those. So then we look at active podcasts being defined as podcasts that have posted one episode in the last 30 days. So not even super active, just one podcast a month. Now we get to Mount Everest, 30, I think it's 32,000 feet tall. So the statistical mm -hmm. difference there where we say, you know, there's only 160,000 or so podcasts that are even active posting once a month. And we didn't even go into a weekly podcast. We also know that statistically there's what's called pod fading. So after 12 episodes, most podcasts will stop. Of every two podcasts that start this year, one of those will not be happening a year from now. So if you just stick around for a year, half the competition's out of your way. So <laughs> it's a huge, huge amount of people that are listening to. 52% of Americans listen to a podcast at least once a month. And that's just one podcast. You know, there's tons that listen more than that. So a gigantic audience, very few people that are in that space. And so it's a great use of people that are mental health clinicians that have these highly specialized skills to stand out um, amongst a lot of kind of self-proclaimed coaches that are out there. Well, I find if you look at like a YouTube channel or a blog post, it's a little bit harder to do other things while consuming that content. Because if, if you're, if there really is compelling video, you need to kind of be present. And, and also, unless they've got really good subtitles, you can't be like in a quiet space with a, blog posts, like you actually have to read stuff. And I find myself less and less able to focus. But a podcast I can listen to while I'm exercising, while I'm running, like I don't run, while I'm walking. <laughs> hypothetically <laughs> like, run. <laughs> when I hypothetically run like Kurt does. But like people are actually able to do these things, to do those things concurrently. And I think it makes it more approachable for a lot of folks. And it seems to be the thing that people are doing now. So, so we've determined if you want to do a podcast, it is worth it. <laughs> it could be a really good yeah. way to reach your audience. But then it's then it's going into like, we both have, or I guess the three of us have two podcasts that are focused on therapists, you know, and how do therapists do what they need to do. So our audiences are very specific. But when we look at therapists that are doing more podcasts focused on lay people, like there's, there's a very different level of audience that you can reach. I mean, I think there's, you can reach every single person across the world on some topics. And so how do you decide what to talk about and how do you really identify the specific pain point or cluster of pain points that you're addressing within a podcast? Yeah. So one of the questions I ask my consulting clients that I'm helping launch a podcast is 
what do you talk about with your friends if you're having a glass of wine on your deck or when you're kind of hanging out with your friends? Because those are the topics that you really care about. It doesn't have to stay in that arena, but it moves it from, I just want to go with you know what I think there's a market for, and I may hate the topic, to what do you actually love talking about and how could we integrate that in as well? And mm-hmm. so one thing that I think a lot of new podcasters worry about is, you know, how do, how do I kind of fit in with everyone else? And honestly, being yourself, exploring unique things, um, diving into topics that maybe other people aren't, like, even though you serve therapists, I serve therapists, our shows are very different from one another. And we're going to attract, we're going to probably have a lot of overlap in our audiences, but people might listen to my podcast, you know, for one reason, then they'll listen to your podcast for another. So to feel like this is a competitive space to me, it's like, no, like, let's just make sure that we all are ourselves and then we'll attract the tribe that we want to attract. And so when there's new podcasters that are wanting to go to a broader audience, I start with that question. Then often we'll look at who are the clients that you absolutely love working with? You know, what are the topics that you're highly trained in that you also love? So you may be highly trained in trauma, you're EMDR certified, all of that. Maybe you're sick of trauma at the end of the day. Maybe you're not. You know, I mean, yeah. I don't know. Like maybe you that, want to have exer- experts experts on that. You're like, I have no business talking to these amazing people, but look, I have a podcast and now I'm at that same level as people. So there's a lot of ways to think through that topic. The last thing I would recommend is look at the goals of the podcast because someone that says, I want to fill up my practice probably shouldn't start a podcast because wow. you're looking at a local group of people, you know, in your state or within, you know, a hundred miles of where you live. So you would need to have a podcast for me. That's based on Northern Michigan topics. I like Northern (laughs) Michigan, but I don't want to do a whole podcast on Northern Michigan topics just to attract Northern Michigan people to my counseling practice. And so you really got to think if you're going to do a podcast, what's something that I can consult on, that I can sell e-courses on, that I can have a membership community on that is national, that there's an audience for. And I also love. Thrizer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thrizer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thrizer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thrizer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. You bring up about, you know, the, what do you talk about on your deck while drinking a glass of wine? And I don't want our audience to imagine Katie and me talking about the things that we talk about all of the time because we are way more fun to hang out with than that. <laughs> Whereas I did a whole series about psychedelics. <laughs> but I just, you know, is as you're talking here, I'm wondering, you know, as you've been doing this now for a few years and have hundreds of episodes down, you've started and stopped and started and tweaked. 
what kinds of surprises have come up for you in in developing all of these things? Because as much like you're saying, we embrace this idea of, you know, you, you have this brand that really is just you and you lean into it. But I'm curious for you, what you've kind of learned about yourself through this process that you're potentially finding that other people come across in developing their email courses and their podcasts and this kind of stuff. Oh, so many surprises. Uh, we could do the rest of the episode just on surprises. <laughs> uh, I mean, I do think that it's amazing to see how a podcast positions you differently than not having one. You know, one of one of our clients, um, she has the Bomb Mom podcast, and she had one of the trainers from The Biggest Loser on, and she started her podcast like three months ago. And the t- level of people uh, that she's getting on her podcast, it just opens you up to be able to network with people that you would have no reason to reach out to them. And so even thinking about Daniel Pink, he's a business author. He was in town for the National Writers Series. I was standing in line, wanted to like talk to him about like being on the podcast, but there was like 20 people. This was before COVID. There's like 20 people in line to meet him. And I'm like, you know what? I'll figure out how to get him on the podcast or maybe I won't because my friends wanted to go get drinks. I'm like, I'd rather hang out with my friends than stand in line for an hour. So the next day, my wife is at a coffee shop and she sees Daniel Pink. And my wife is not one that really disrupts. She's an Enneagram nine. She's a peacemaker. Like (laughs) she boldly walks up to Daniel Pink and says, my husband has a podcast and you would be amazing on it. And he gave her his personal email and said, have your husband contact me. Um, I'll be on his podcast. Now, I was almost more excited that Christina had stepped out of her comfort zone to do that (laughs) for me more than having Daniel Pink. But even just having a reason to talk to this author that I have loved for years and learned so much from, I'd say that was one really big surprise. And then honestly, like getting signed with Harper Collins to write a book, one of the biggest things was the level of the podcast and that I had interviewed Daniel Pink. And so like having access to these people and saying, you know, I've interviewed authors, I've, you know, supported the writing industry and then them saying, okay, it looks like, you know, we can sign you that couldn't have happened without the podcast. Like that was one of the biggest selling points to Harper Collins was that I had a podcast and I had those kind of networks because of the podcast. I'm almost hearing it here that, you know, having watched you from afar for a while, that there's still almost even that hint of imposter syndrome that we all still deal with as we go along this. And I'm almost kind of just jumping in with my mind of like, you know, we run across these things where it's like, did I just get away with that? Like, did I just like, <laughs> did I just make this connection as far as, you know, being able to connect with these people? And they said, yes. And, you know, this is kind of where Katie and I with Therapy Reimagined this year. So, you know, we have Daryl Chow and Harry Aponte joining us that it's amazing when you reach out to people and you're like, hey, I want to connect with you about this thing. But there's still just that little bit of sense of like, are they even going to respond to me? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think for one, I think that's kind of healthy, you know, to kind of not let any of the fame or fortune or any of that thing kind of go to your head. Yeah. But I also think that, you know, yeah, I think there is some imposter syndrome, but I think it's more just trying to stay grounded and, and say, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm still a dad that gets frustrated with his kids going to bed and, you know, there's yeah. Oh, yeah. all sorts of, you know, I mean, we're all just humans trying to do our best. And so the person that you hear on the podcast, the person you see at Slowdown School, the person that you know you see in my membership community, like it doesn't change. You know, I might put on a nice shirt if I'm gonna be on video, but you know, as we quickly discovered, this isn't video, so I'm back in a t-shirt. <laughs> oh, but but it's like I, I think that 
figuring out what your next step is and pushing yourself to feel uncomfortable and jumping before you're ready. Uh, that's something yeah. I see in the people that are successful are the people that say, I probably shouldn't do this, but I'm still going to. And just reaching out to people and saying, I'm going to give this a whirl. If it doesn't stick, I'm not going to have any ego wrapped up in it or emotions like I'm a terrible podcaster or I'm failing. It just didn't work for that person or they don't check their email or they don't, you know, whatever, <laughs> who knows, you know, so just move on from it. Well, I think there's that, that kind of, Jumping before you're ready, I think there's there's at least a kind of anecdotal discussion that oftentimes women are less likely to do that. And, and we do have a very feminized field. There's like between 60 and 80% women in our field. So I think it's it's something where I think I'm saying we really need to hear this, but I think it can be very stressful and uncomfortable to, to move outside of your comfort zone and I guess I'm, I'm trying to get to a question. Maybe I don't have a question, but there's this, this notion of really making this kind of a splash, this kind of an impact can be hugely overwhelming for therapists. And, and whether it's imposter syndrome or just kind of pushing through that level of professional development and, and that level of visibility, what do you recommend? Because I, I know that you've you've jumped out in big ways and apparently spent a whole year creating something that didn't work. So that's, that makes me feel so much better because <laughs> I've had that happen too. But I think it's that piece of like, how do you recommend for folks to, to take care of that for themselves? Because it is really hard. And especially if you're doing a podcast, it's very visible. I mean, that email that nobody responds to, okay, that's not visible, but like whatever you're putting out on the podcast depending on your the size of your audience could be seen by thousands of people. And so it's it's something where there's there's a lot of gumption that's needed and a lot of grit. For sure. And I would also say that if we can set very clear boundaries around our time, uh, where we allow ourselves to slow down, don't give ourselves enough time to complete the tasks at hand, it makes us work faster and get way more done in a shorter period of time. So I only work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Usually it's from like 10 to three, so like 15 hours a week. So it forces me to say, okay, I can't do all this. So I need to outsource at 15 or 20 bucks an hour, all these other ideas that I have. Also, when I only have a few minutes, it forces me to not overthink things. And so then Mm. if I'm thinking, oh, uh, you know, I should, you know, send an email to Forbes and just see if they want to, you know, take a quote. I just do it and just send it (laughs) out and like, don't worry about it. You know, if I have an idea, I, I don't even give myself time to overthink it. And when I do, it, it almost always makes me go, oh my gosh, like I shouldn't do this. What am I doing? Like, but then when you just do it, if you keep doing that enough, imagine you send out 20 emails or do three extra podcasts a week than what you normally do. That then is you know, significantly more content and opportunities. Also a lot of time that you could fail, but it's also a lot of time that something's going to stick. And so I think that the more that you give yourself a shorter period of time, you're going to get more done and you're not going to overthink it. I know a lot of therapists who are overthinkers. And I see this at all stages of careers. And I'm guilty of this just as much as anybody else. How do you make that pivot of just like getting getting through that and, you know, consequences be damned sort of like, <laughs> how do you encourage people to... to trust that that process actually works when in so many other ways, you know, from graduate school, therapists are taught, you know, think things through, know what all the consequences are going to be, minimize risk, all this kind of stuff. Okay. there. I'm not saying just 
jump into anything. <laughs> I'll start there. Um, I am, if my wife were on you this clarify. podcast, yeah, if my wife were on this podcast with us, she would say, sweet mother, he overthinks things too much. He's risk averse. Like, I don't know what he's saying. So I think that there's strategic risk. You know, so for example, we just bought an RV. It's getting shipped from California. It's, we took months to decide on this thing because we want to live out of national parks for a year. And so thinking through living in a national park, like that takes planning. You don't just jump in an RV and say, all right, in the middle of COVID, what are we going to do? Like, no, we have to think through it. (laughs) But I think there's a couple of questions to ask yourself with your work week. So, and I take all my consulting clients through this. First question is, what is something that only you can do? So for example, you're not going to outsource interviews on your podcast, unless maybe you're going to be gone for a couple of weeks and one of you does it, or you bring in a like guest to host for a little bit, but you're not going to probably outsource that. You're not going to outsource your Facebook lives because it's you being live. Second question is what do you love doing, but really you shouldn't be doing. So for example, with my podcast, I used to love making the images for every single episode. I would do all my own show notes. I'm artsy. I like that creative side but I realized it was taking me about three times longer than it should to do a podcast. And I said, well, if I could do three times more podcasts, that would probably benefit me a lot more than feeling a little more artsy. And so I outsourced that, made sure it kind of matched my branding. Um, It was something I love, but I shouldn't have been doing. The third question is, what are you doing that you really shouldn't be doing? So accounting, insurance claims, even checking your own email. You know, I have an assistant that goes through my email and she stars everything. And I had one when I had my practice before I sold it and she signed it, business associates agreement, all that HIPAA stuff. And she would star the essential emails. So last week I was on vacation with my family with no internet, couldn't check my email, didn't choose to check my email. I came back and I only had 20 emails despite getting 200 plus emails a day. So those things that what is the best use of your time directly translates into making sure that you love what you do. And when you love what you, what you do, that's what keeps you motivated to get back to Kurt's question, which this was a super long way to answer it, but it keeps you motivated <laughs> to do the work because you show up and you're like, okay, everything here is amazing. I love doing it. It's sort of like when you con Mari your closet and you love every t-shirt you have because you've said, does this bring me joy? Like every t-shirt now <laughs> brings me joy. Same thing, like con Mari your business. <laughs> Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. And I think the the piece, and and I love this a lot, this is the kind of stuff that I I talk about with my clients too, because I think so many people feel like they have to do everything and they have to be everywhere. And I'm I'm getting my head around having my assistant do my email, at least one of the inboxes that has gotten out of control. So I I appreciate this conversation. It's actually very well-timed for me. But I think the the piece that can be very difficult is is when you've crunched down your time and you're only doing the things that you love the most. One of the things that I've found, and I've actually gone back to some of the more mundane tasks, is I felt like I had to be so on and I got exhausted just doing all the stuff I loved. It was like, okay, I don't want to burn out on the stuff I love. Like there's there's the times when I need downtime. And I think... I'm answering my question for myself, so I apologize. But like, I, I just think about like, if you're only working 15 hours a week, you have so much time to slow down, so much time to relax, all of that stuff, where you're not going to necessarily, like you'll be on for those 15 hours. 
And so how did you get to that? Because I because obviously delegating will take some time and money. Certainly getting a rhythm and and I think you do need to know what you're doing before you delegate it. I mean, I guess some of the things you don't need to know all the the in the ins and outs of it, but like some of that stuff you are gonna at least have a, a way to oversee it, if not, you know, know the ins and outs so you can do those things. But how did you get to that place? How did you get to, I'm now working 15 hours a week and I've got, you know, all these different product services, businesses, you know, how did you get there? Yeah. So it was definitely through some experimentation. So I don't remember which summer it was. There was one summer that at the beginning of the summer, I sat down with Christina and I said, I want to do an experiment for the summer. I want to take Fridays off. Uh, And so I took Fridays off for the summer. We decided we're going to have this just be for the summer. And then in the fall, we'd reevaluate. Well, in those four days, I found that I actually got more done. My profits were much higher than had been when I was doing five days. So in the fall, I said, well, let's keep this going. And so then the next summer, I said, well, let's just push the envelope a bit. Let's see if I can have a four-day weekend. You know, Mondays, let's... And I was still working clinically. It's not like I was just doing online business. I was working clinically. I had clients. I had 1099s, had a group practice. So it's not like I just got to be an online business guy. I just want to clarify that. Um, So then what ended up happening was I dropped the ball on a lot of things. And the things you'll drop the ball on when you're working three days a week are the things that you shouldn't be doing. And so it was not emailing people back quick enough. It was not returning phone calls, you know, from my private practice. And so having my assistant then return those calls, unless it was essential, if it was, you know, oh my gosh, we're in crisis. I wanted to make sure that several times a day that if someone left a message for me, that they got a call back, even if it wasn't from me. Say, you know, unfortunately Joe's in meetings today. Is there a message I can get to him? If this is urgent, I can text him. Okay, so we created a script. We created a process. The things I was dropping the ball on, First, we put out that fire. Then we say, how do we prevent this in the future? So then over time, you just start to refine that. And so Jess, my director of details, she checks my email. And if there's ever an email that I feel she could have have replied to, but she starred, I just BCC her on that. So she knows if she gets BCC'd on something, she she should put that in the library of answers. And so over time, you start to kind of develop this library of answers. You develop different processes. You see opportunities. So you know, one of my consulting clients was asking, hey, you know, you guys built out this whole nine-part email series for me. Like, what about emails 10, 11, and 12? Well, our copywriter, she didn't want to take on extra work. And so we hired another copywriter. And so you just slowly start to build out the team that then helps you work smarter. But then there's always opportunity to help other people use your team as well. And what I love about that is that it's not stuff that you have to do all at the front end of things, that it's part of the process, it's refining as you go. And I think that that's a, a catching point that a lot of people get to is they want to have everything perfect so that way they don't have to go back and revisit it. But it's the tweaking, it's the responding, it's the adjusting as you go along that makes that process more natural and I guess easier to tackle as it goes along. And I would actually say that's a really dangerous mindset to try to have it be perfect at first, because you're probably going to look for an assistant that's going to do everything. I want someone that does social media, answers my phone, does this. But what happens is this unicorn of an assistant then is probably going to get gobbled up by someone else pretty quickly versus what's one thing that I hate doing that just kind of pisses me off. Okay. Let's find one person that can spend an hour a week working on that. Okay. Then I ask my staff, do you want to do more? And if they do, 
then I give them more. And if they don't, I find someone else. And so over time, you're building a team where even the team is doing what they like best. So every year, at least once or twice a year, I ask them, what do you love doing in your job? Um, what's something that you wish you could be doing? And what's something you want off your plate? And then if they want things off their plate, it gets passed on to someone else either within the team if they want it or we hire someone else. And so over time, you start to build out a team of people that they as well love every single thing that they're doing. Well, and I think the piece about not looking for that perfect unicorn of an assistant, and it's like, I want one person and I want them to be able to do everything. Because I help folks with recruiting and, and, and when they're looking for this person, they forget to think about, okay, what's the job actually going to look like? And also when you get this person, what would keep them from starting their own business? Like if they can do everything that you could do, why would they not do it? You know, and granted there's different skill sets, but especially when they're like, I want to hire a therapist that will also do social media and to help me with the business part. I'm like, okay. And unless there's some other reason they're connected to you, they're going to go start their own business. Like, right. They're going to be like, (laughs) Like, wait, I just doubled their profits, but I didn't get as much money. Like, why would I stay here? Totally. That's that's a great point, Katie. Well, and I think it's also the skill sets because there's some folks that are able to do like the details and the the kind of su- the customer service, but there are a lot of people that they just have one inclination or the other. And so really finding people that have the best possible skills for the, the, the one thing that you really need or the first thing that you need is much stronger than trying to wait for the, the perfect person. So Yeah. I mean, I really want to find people that they can grow into who they want to be as a professional within practice of the practice. And so I even look at Sam, who's now our, she oversees all of the podcasts because we have 14 podcasts we oversee now. She six months ago was doing a whole bunch of other things with our YouTube channel, with Next Level Practice, our membership community. And about a month ago, she said, I just want to do podcasting. I realized I love helping people start their podcasts. And Mm -hmm. so then Jess, our director of details, ended up taking almost all of that off of her plate Jess wanted more hours. She wanted to build her skill set. So now we've got two people that are doing what they absolutely love. Instead of just saying, well, I hired you to do this job. You got to keep doing that job. And I'm hearing just this consistent through line of whether you're one person soloing your practice or you're a Joe Sanok type empire that you, (laughs) (laughs) you take on what you, what you take on and would you really prioritize yourself and you prioritize your employees in helping them prioritize themselves that you can create really successful businesses. Now, there's probably some tough decisions there of like, well, there's still this job that needs to get done that it comes up from time to time. But overall, this sounds like a very zen almost sort of approach to things, but it's still really well thought out. And I think that that's both part of being present in the moment with your practice, but also knowing that you're still having a direction that you're going with it. Yeah. And I I think that that's the thing that oftentimes we think, well, if you make money, then you must be like killing yourself and it's so tough. And if you're loving your job, then you're probably working at a nonprofit and making $30,000 a year. You know, our field has done a disservice by kind of setting it up where there's these opposite ends of the spectrum. When in reality, we can decide, here's the kind of job that I want. Here's the kind of things I want to do. And I'm going to build things that will increase my wealth. But it doesn't have to be hurting other people. It doesn't have to be from a mindset of you know scarcity. There's all these things that we can do to create the kind of world that we want. And we can do it in a way that also is helpful and makes us money. I think that's a great place to finish up. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Joe, you have an offer for our listeners today. Do you want to tell them a little bit about that? Yeah, we have a free e-course that's over at podcastlaunchschool.com. You can sign up. It's a nine-part e-course that will be emailed to you uh, every week, walking you through whether or not a podcast is for you, your first steps. It's really going to train you to become a great podcaster. Uh, And so we've put that together for you. There's a great PDF that we have with it as well to help you kind of sort through, is podcasting for me? What would my podcast name be? Uh, And giving you some very clear steps that we give to our consulting clients. Thank you so much. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes. If people want to find you and potentially are considering some of the the different, the, the empire that Kurt was talking about, many of the different offerings that you have, how can they find you? Yeah. So over at practiceofthepractice.com, we have tons of blog posts, the podcast. Uh, if people want to um, talk with me about potentially working with me or one of our five consultants, uh, they can go to practiceofthepractice.com forward slash apply. And then I'll jump on a call with them and see if there's a return on investment for their time and money uh, to work with one of us. And like Katie said, we'll include that in our show notes. You can find those on our website, mtsgpodcast.com. And while you're over there, click on over to our new website, therapyreimaginedconference.com. That's about all of the things with the Therapy Reimagined 2020 conference. We have our sponsor, Simple Practice, that is helping us put that on and helping us out with all the CEs. So check out there for all of your CE requirements. And we are super excited to have Joe and a bunch of other really cool people. That's coming to you virtually this year. We've managed to get our feet under us at least at this point in time, a month or so out. <laughs> we are feeling really confident about uh, what we're putting out there and reimagining therapy conferences. So come check that out as well. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy and Joe Sadak. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months.